Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to House of Cards. Today, the game is different. I want to gamble. Gambling is a very serious business. Is that clear? everyone this is Ashley Adams you're listening to House of Cards I'm your host for the hour and what an hour it's going to be we have a terrific guest an intellectual guy a writer his name is Richard Zacks he's written a number of books but today we're going to talk to him about Island of Vice it's the story of Teddy Roosevelt's attempt to clean up New York City in the 1890s and it is filled with vice and history. So I hope you'll stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sports betting is here, so now is the time to get ahead while the rest of the country is playing catch-up. Well, the way to gain an advantage over everyone else is to be more informed than everyone else, and that way is the Don Best Bet Camp. Moneyline Sports Group has partnered with Don Best Sports and FanDuel Sportsbook to offer a one-of-a-kind, innovative program to help educated sports bettors to make smart, responsible wagers. Sign up today for the Don Best Bet Camp at Meadowlands Racing and Entertainment in East Rutherford, New Jersey, home of the brand-new FanDuel Sportsbook on Friday, November 16th, for the launch event of this highly anticipated one-day hands-on experience. Act now and get $25 off your registration fee when you use our promo code BETNJ. You'll also get a free month of the premium Don Best subscription service, a $25 no-deposit-required bet when you download and register within the FanDuel mobile app, some cool swag, and much, much more. Your event fee includes breakfast, lunch, and a VIP cocktail party with the experts. Register now at DonBestBetCamp.com or call 833-DBBCAMP and use our promo code BETNJ. Stay ahead of the game with Don Best Bet Camp. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, BABE16, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD, plus free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code BABE16. Again, that's BABE16. Because without it, no free stuff. That's BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, it's Dave from House of Cards, and you know this show keeps me busy traveling around the country. Do you hear all that noise behind me? That's a casino floor in Atlantic City. Even though I'm around all this excitement, I still need a good night's sleep, and that's why I bring my pillow everywhere. Now, don't get me wrong, the hotel rooms here are very comfortable, but some of their pillows aren't the best for my back and neck. That's why my pillow is a must for me when I travel. And now there's a great new deal being offered by the folks at my pillow. For a limited time, House of Cards listeners can receive a very special offer. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special tab, and use promo code CARDS or call 1-800-319-7913 to take advantage of this four-pack special. You'll get 50% off two MyPillow premium pillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. MyPillow.com with promo code CARDS. That's promo code CARDS to take advantage of this four-pack special. Better sleep starts with MyPillow. You're listening to House of Cards. Where was the house? Where was the house of cards? Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, your host of House of Cards. And as you know, we try to have a wide variety of 
of guests, not just degenerate gamblers and game designers, but also people that are quite literary, intelligent, and well-spoken. Today we have one of those, the author of Island of Vice, as well as many other books. His name is Richard Zacks. He is with us right now. Richard, are you there? I'm there. Thanks for having me. Well, nice to have you. Uh, we're very fortunate because uh, one of our producers read a copy or saw a copy of your book, thought it would be great for this show. And even though it's been written in 2012, it is absolutely contemporary. The book is Island of Vice. Can you tell our listeners just a little backstory of how it is you, well, what the topic is and how you decided to do the research and write the book? Uh, sure. I, I, it's supposed to be a book about Teddy Roosevelt as police commissioner of New York in the late 1890s, which it is. But I got obsessed with the vice aspects. I mean, I'm totally interested in gambling. I have to be honest, prostitution fascinates me and the after hours drinking. So basically, I delved into the vice side of New York in that period because Roosevelt was trying to clean it up. So I think your listeners are probably maybe more interested in the gambling and the vice and all that, and, uh, and I'm happy to talk about it. Well, I don't think there's any reason to disparage our listeners as being perverts. Uh, I think everybody <laughs> everybody is more interested in vice. I confess, me too. <laughs> well, I noticed, by the way, you wrote a book called History Laid Bare, B-A-R-E, exactly. and I suspect it was quite literally also writing about vice back then. So you have a history oh, of man. it. Um, I do. My wife says my first books were 100% sex, and then I've been gradually reducing it, you know, but this last one's probably 40%. I don't know. It's still way up there. Well, it's enough to keep my attention, and I just wish there were many more illustrations. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, so just so that our listeners are aware of what this book is, it is about TR, but it's about him at a certain point in his career, way before he became vice president and then president. Tell us a little bit about the 1890s Ted Roosevelt that uh, this book really captures. Right. Um, well, Roosevelt had just been six years as a civil service commissioner. So he he was, and I'm not saying he was a nobody, but he was a, a glorified bureaucrat who was rising in, in the Republican circles. And, and then he gets this plum job to be police commissioner. First, they offered him sanitation, but he passed on that. And um, he picked uh, police commissioner. And so he was one of four commissioners. And he was a crusader even back then. He was a progressive. And he really wanted to clean up New York. And you have to realize New York was the Las Vegas of the era. I mean, it was Sin City. There was... 40,000 prostitutes working the city. There were gambling, illegal gambling casinos. There were uh, what was called pool rooms, which were betting pool rooms. Um, this was um, this was a, a great place for vice. You know, there's a live entertainment back then. They had 100 uh, live shows that were going. They had burlesque. Uh, this was this was a place to come. And out of town salesmen love to come here to have a good time. So Roosevelt in his uh, puritanical zeal, tried to clean all that up, and uh, he didn't actually succeed, but uh, but it makes for a good story, I think. Well, it's a great story, and, and it starts by you painting this picture of New York that you just briefly described, but I'd like to delve into it a little more. Uh, you write about how, if I remember correctly, not just the number of prostitutes on the street, but that it was estimated that one out of six New York men frequented houses of prostitution or brothels. Is that right? That's right. But basically just it's kind of simple math. 40,000 prostitutes, if they had an average of four clients a day, is 160,000 encounters a day. And there were approximately a million men of age in New York City then. So well, that gives you one out of six. I mean, there was no dating scene back then. You didn't go to a bar <laughs> and try to get lucky. If a woman was in a bar after yeah, that late at night, she was a working woman. So... It was just a very different, uh, and and you know, vir that, was, that was the era of virginal brides and um, you know, marital fidelity, at least on the woman's side, not on the man's side. It was a very different era. Very different. I mean, it, also the Republican Party was very different. For those listeners who may not be familiar with what was going on in New York, you had Tammany Hall. Uh, which right. you describe as really, <laughs> we think we have corruption today. Talk about oh how corrupt God. Tammany Hall was. Which was well, a democratic Hall, institution, have, by the way. Right. You have to understand those were the Democrats. They dominated New York City politics, and they totally dominated. It was an Irish-dominated organization as well. And um, basically, it, you know, they claimed, and, and to some extent it's true, they were fighting for the immigrants. They were fighting for the, the last guys off the boat. Lots of them were Irish. They were also Jews. Um, 
Italians, but they also lined their pockets while they were doing it. And there was a, a, a really entrenched system of, of pay, vice payoffs. So, that all, look, all this stuff was technically illegal. You know, prostitution was not legal. Street walking wasn't legal. So you had to bribe somebody. And they had a system where there was a ward detective. There was one plainclothes detective per precinct. And he would do all the collections for the captain. And he would go around to the um, the betting joints. He'd go to the place. They sold, they had a thing called policy, which is basically the lottery, but it was illegal. And um, this, this ward detective would make all the collections. And he would then give most of the money, all the money to the captain. The captain would then pass a share of the money up to the inspector. And then the inspector would give the money to the Tammany politicians. And the whole thing, you know, that's the only way. And they, they basically thought, look, New Yorkers want vice. They want gambling and prostitution and after our saloons we're just taking a little tip to let them have what they want everybody's happy win-win and teddy roosevelt felt the exact opposite the republicans were crusaders then for uh, morality and um he wanted to clean it all up listeners we're going to cut away we'll be back after a quick break Happier. Her fur is so much shinier, silkier, softer. She has really mellowed a lot. Sheba is a 105 lean pounds of shiny, smooth, happy dog for life. The shedding has stopped. The itching has stopped. Since 2001, we've helped more than a quarter million dogs get over their nutritional deficiency miseries. And saved our customers bazillions in vet bills. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Come to Dynavite for help. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite for life. Don't let your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy. Come to Dynavite for help. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. You're listening to House of Cards. Check out our website at houseofcardsradio.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams, your host. Uh, We're talking to Richard Zacks, who is the author of many books, but we are focusing on Island of Vice, which is the story of Ted Williams coming and trying to clean up all the vice. Roosevelt, Roosevelt. Who did I say? Franklin? Ted Roosevelt. You you got Ted. You batted for Yeah, Roosevelt never hit 400. (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt came to New York from... Uh, he had been down in D.C. working for civil service, and he came up here and faced incredible corruption. W- what I found interesting was that the Republican Party didn't have such clean hands either. I mean, they controlled, from what you wrote, upstate New York, and they had right. an interesting relationship with the downstate Democrats in that it was kind of live and let live. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the two groups? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, traditionally, uh, and it's still true to this day, New York City has been Democratic and the um, the state has been Republican. And what's interesting is most people don't know this. In 1898, New York City was just um, Manhattan and a little bit of the, and the Bronx. And the upstate Republicans were so sick of uh, getting uh, losing the, all the elections in New York City that they changed the map. Literally, they they added Brooklyn. Brooklyn was a separate city than Queens. They added Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island, and figured maybe this way we'll have enough Republicans that we can actually beat Tammany Hall and the Democrats. But they still couldn't win. There were so many immigrants coming in. Tammany Hall kept its domination. Um, yeah, it was a live and let live, and it was a very corrupt era back then. The politicians got extraordinarily wealthy, and and it wasn't even. That's secretive. But the, the thing that was, I mean, giving Roosevelt his due, he was not at all corrupted. He was, 
He really was a man who believed, he was this almost uh, Don Quixote, how ridiculous to come into, imagine someone coming into Las Vegas and saying, we're going to, you know, make all the casinos illegal and all the prostitutes go off to the bunny ranch or whatever. I mean, it's just, just was absurd, but he tried. He tried really hard to do it. He didn't succeed. He declared victory, but he tried. You describe him not just in terms of his policies, but also in terms of his personal vigor. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about how it was that he appeared and acted in a way different from a lot of the other slow-moving, uh, sit-back-in-rocking-chair kind of politicians that dominated back then? Well, he he had a, did a thing right in the beginning that was an amazing choice. He did a thing called the Midnight Rambles. I mean, here's a guy. He went to Harvard. I mean, he grew up wealthy. He wore, he wore pince-nay eyeglasses. You know, he looked like a... Uh, like a fop or something from a, you know, from a distance maybe, but he was a stocky, energetic guy and never stopped talking, never stopped moving. And he did this thing with Jacob Rees, who was a crusading journalist at the time. And they went out on midnight rambles to see if any of the cops were not doing their jobs, which was just unthinkable for a police commission. Police commissioners were pretty corrupt and they, they just live and let live and took their cut. And here Roosevelt goes, and he found a lot of the cops were sleeping and he was in plain clothes and he would hear he is like five foot eight and he'd go up to these big Irish guys, you know, and he, he'd tap them. He'd wake them up. He'd, uh, he'd yell at them. He'd, uh, and it was just the, the public loved it because the, the cops, frankly, had been, had been bullying, you know, the people forever, you know, and, you know, they carried these big nightsticks and, uh, here was this little aristocratic man going up and defying them. So in the beginning, people loved Roosevelt. And I think, at least from what I read, he was successful in some degrees because he did start scheduling uh, trials. You describe a scene of having all right. these policemen lined up. Tell us a little bit about that, about what he was successful at, at least initially. Right. Well, Roosevelt wanted to, his first job, I mean, he was police commissioner. So, you know, actually the the... You know, trying to clean up the crime in the city was the second job. The first job was to clean up the crime inside the police department. And these guys had been getting away with it forever, taking taking the vice bribes that they thought made everybody happy. And uh, Roosevelt was having none of it. So he wound up uh, either threatening to prosecute with uh, departmental hearings or uh, he basically forced out a, a big number of the captains. You know, of uh, the various precincts who were who had all been corrupt and uh, and the ones that wouldn't leave, he he put on trial. So I got this Captain Eakins. I wound up, you know, literally like 2000 pages of his trials. And it's just a, a portrait of New York back then with the streetwalkers and the payoffs to the cops, you know, and and some cop comes up to a streetwalker and demands five bucks and she doesn't have it. And. And uh, so she winds up having to give him his give her his uh, her ring, give him the ring and just. It's just uh, it's just a portrait of the city. Now, Roosevelt did have some success at first uh, cleaning up inside the police department, but ultimately the city didn't change, and and the police department didn't really change. Well, before we get to his failures, there's one episode that I I'd love to talk a little bit more about. Actually, two. Uh, sure. Let's talk about the fact that New York had laws that prohibited the opening of saloons or bars on Sunday. Uh, I guess back then there were right. blue laws. And New York was uh, in the large, the vast majority of cities in that that ordinance was practiced more in the breach than in the observance. Uh, and unlike right. Boston, it was a wide open city. But then Roosevelt and the new police commission decided to crack down on that and to enforce the laws um, but it was not wholly successful. Do you do you want to talk a little bit about what that sure. was like and what happened? Sure. Well, what's interesting about the Sunday laws is I don't know if you realize, but they couldn't have a baseball game. They couldn't have. They couldn't. The theaters weren't open. I mean, all these laws cracked down on pretty much any idea of a fun entertainment. Um, you were supposed to go to church, obviously. Um, and so the, the the saloons were closed, but they had a tradition that what they would do is they would open. Believe it or not, back then there was sometimes a, a woman's entrance or a side entrance, and they would close the front door of the place, close the curtains, and the side entrance would be open, and you just knock, and it'd be all very discreet. And everyone thought it was kind of respectful to the churches, you know. And 
you went, you went in the side door and this, and you paid off the cop for the privilege to do it. And he looked the other way and that was that. So Roosevelt comes in and he decides he's going to shut down all the saloons on Sunday. And it just, I mean, the working men back then worked six days a week. This was their one day off. And uh, he went from being really popular because he was doing midnight rambles, defying the cops, saying all the right things, to being unbelievably unpopular. And what made it worse was that the private clubs, the type places that Roosevelt, the rich people belonged to, they were allowed to be open because they were technically private clubs. So the swells were able to drink and all the working stiffs couldn't go to a saloon on Sunday. And uh, it just became front page news. New York, a Sahara. You know, um, people take the ferry boat to New Jersey. Um, one guy wrote a long essay about someone going to Jersey City and thought he had a good time. We know the world is coming to an end. You know, so <laughs> it was uh, it was just, uh, you know, Roosevelt tried, you know, he went for it. And, and uh, the ultimate uh, the ultimate result was a thing called the Reigns Law, which said that you could only uh, uh, serve liquor on Sundays if you had a hotel with 10 rooms. This was the upstate Republicans thinking they were going to shut down the saloons. But instead, what happened was every bar in New York City cobbled out 10 rooms. And so imagine if every bar you went into now, with, you know, a woman gets a little drunk, man gets a little drunk. Now you had 10 rooms that you could go take your date to. Um, it made New York a much more sinful place. And that was certainly not Roosevelt's intention. Listeners, we're going to cut away. We'll be back after a quick break. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, BABE16, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code BABE16. Again, that's BABE16. Because without it, no free stuff. That's BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, it's Dave from House of Cards with a great new offer from our friends at MyPillow. You've been hearing me talk about MyPillow and the benefits of using it to get a good night's sleep and alleviate your sore neck and back and all the special deals you can get through our show. Now, for a limited time, when you buy one MyPillow premium pillow, you can get a second one for free. That's right, free, when you use our promo code CARDS at checkout. Head on over to MyPillow.com and click on the Buy One, Get One Free link. You can choose the size of each pillow and choose the fill of each one. You get the same 60-day money-back guarantee, the same 10-year warranty, and all my pillow pillows are made with their patented interlocking fill. That's the buy one, get one free offer from MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-319-7913 to order by phone. Don't forget to use our promo code CARDS when checking out to take advantage of this great new offer from MyPillow. That's promo code CARDS, C-A-R-D-S. Better sleep starts with my pillow. Need to sell your house fast? We're Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. You've seen our big yellow billboards with our caveman Ugg, but did you know that Homevestors is America's number one home buyer? At Homevestors, we can buy your house as is, pay you cash, and usually pay most of the closing costs, and we close fast. Call today for your no obligation consultation and get out of that ugly real estate situation. 
If your house needs repairs, you're ready to downsize. Tired of renters and those rental property repairs, retiring, experiencing a job transfer, inherited a property, or just need to sell your house fast. Do what thousands of satisfied Homevestor customers have done. Call Homevestors today for a no-obligation consultation at 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. We'll close fast and pay cash. So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. You know, ever since the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision lifting the national ban on sports betting, the gambling landscape of the country is changing on a daily basis. So how do you keep up with all the latest news and developments? How do you know what each state is doing? You go to the one site that has all the information you need to stay ahead of the game, and that site is usbets.com. That's usbets.com. Written by the leading experts in the gambling industry, all you'll need is one visit to usbets.com, and you'll see why it's the number one gambling magazine in the USA. With usbets.com, you'll get up-to-date information on not just the sports betting scene, but also the latest news and notes on the entire gaming industry all across the country. It's not just one state, it's all of them in one spot. Stay in the loop and stay on top of your game. Get the latest news on sports betting and gambling from the country's number one gambling magazine. Get on over to usbets.com. That's usbets.com. Many athletes dream of becoming a professional football player. For those young men that do get drafted into the NFL or affiliated leagues, life changes forever for them and their families. Repeated head trauma during their professional football career causes many retired NFL players to experience long-term neurological issues such as ALS, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, and dementia. Our attorneys at D. Miller & Associates are ready to help you immediately. Contact us today at 1-855-PRO-LAWYERS for your confidential discussion. Again, that's 1-855-776-5299. Hey, how you doing? This is Joe Walsh. I'm speaking on behalf of Rad. It's okay to rock and roll, right? But don't drive home drunk. If you're drunk, call me up. I have a limo. I'll come and get you. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Dave Weishaddle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of November 12, 2018. The NHL and the New Jersey Devils have announced separate partnerships with FanDuel. The NHL deal is a multi-year partnership naming FanDuel its official daily fantasy sports and sports betting partner. And under the FanDuel partnership with the Devils, it will receive brand exposure at home games at the Prudential Center. FanDuel plans to offer a contest where fans can win tickets to the Winter Classic at Notre Dame Stadium on New Year's Day. According to the UNLV Center for Gaming Research, Las Vegas poker rooms are starting to disappear. Nevada had 598 poker tables in 62 rooms in September 2017, and in one year that number has dropped to 561 tables in 58 poker rooms. The lowest number of poker rooms that ever existed in Nevada was in 2002 when there were only 57 rooms in existence. And finally, the Breeders' Cup is a great horse race and it's always a lot of fun, but for one 24-year-old Kentucky man, it was a little too much fun. Allegedly, Michael Wells Roddy got really drunk, and then he got really stupid. He snuck into a restricted area, mounted a horse, and rode it out of the tunnel to the track where he was eventually arrested. I'm surprised that hasn't happened more often. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey. People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips. Pumping fists in Fortly and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you can trust so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure. And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be at least 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to the House of Cards. Okay, let's play some damn cards.
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to House of Cards. I'm Ashley, your host for the interview. We're talking to Richard Zacks. He is a much-published author who has written this wonderful book. Uh, I wish I had discovered it when it was first written in 2012, but it's it's absolutely wonderful today, Island of Vice. Uh, how did he, how did Roosevelt parlay this, at least the way some looked at it, as disastrous kind of foolish experience into becoming the vice presidential nominee? What, what was his career path after this? Well, it's kind of amazing. He, he left New York. He declared victory. He claimed he had cleaned. And if you read his final police report, he basically claims he cleaned, he wiped out prostitution, gambling, and after-hours drinking in the city, and that he cleaned up corruption in the police department, and he, he declares victory. And he becomes assistant secretary of the Navy. And he winds up quitting that job against the advice of every, all, his, all his friends to volunteer and uh, create uh, you know, the, the Rough Rider unit to uh, attack in the Spanish-American War down in Cuba. And he basically has a handful of days that he's leading. I mean, he had his uniform made at Brooks Brothers. He had an extra pair of glasses <laughs> hidden in his hat. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit like the dudes, you know. Yes. But they, uh, they pulled it off, and he charges up the hill. Fifty of his men get killed. A bullet whizzes through his hat, and, and he becomes a war hero. And he's Colonel Roosevelt for the rest of his life. And uh, he parlays that into running for governor. And the Republicans let him run for governor but he so defies the Republican machine, you know, uh, that Thomas Collier Platt, that they want to get rid of him. True story, as governor. And the only way they can figure out to get rid of him is to make him vice president. Because back then, the, the parties, especially in New York, controlled a lot of the nomination process. And they made him vice president, and they never expected the president to get assassinated. And, right. That was McKinley, who was a right. very, very popular president, but did not finish his term. Uh, and got assassinated. Barely started the second term. He died, you know, in 1901. So Roosevelt got seven years as president. Yeah. Right. Uh, and wanted more. Ran for president later on as a blue moose party, right? Because right? he was disappointed right. with Taft. Totally. I love that thing, too. The guy tried to kill him, and, and Roosevelt's speech was so thick that it saved his life. It was in his breast pocket, and uh, the bullet didn't make it all the way through. Um that's right. I I tell you, are you? Would you ever think about doing another book on a different part of uh, TR's life? Um, I have I, maybe, but I, I think I want to do Vice more to tell you. The truth. <laughs> I've been looking around. Um, I, I you know I did actually um, did do, do a little research on the um, you know just looked over my notes about some of the gambling. I don't know how much time you got left, but the gambling situation in New York in the eighteen nineties. I think it's kind of interesting. We have you lots more time. It. Tell us about it. I'm eager to hear about it. Well, basically, they had three types of gambling. They had high-end casinos, and they had uh, pool rooms, which were called, which were betting pool rooms, literally paramutual pools on betting on mostly the horse races. And in 1895, they made um, betting at the track illegal in New York uh, State, so that now these pool rooms were the only place you could put the bets. And they were like on the second floor over saloons. And they literally got their, I mean, this is, I think it's so cool. It's like the Sting or something. They got the results by telegraph. And then somebody would um, would recreate the race, blonde in a motel on the outside, chasing hard, closing it. You know, the whole thing was just made up. And then they would announce the true winner. And um, you know, if, if when the tra- when there wasn't a New York track, they had to pay. The, they played the local pool. But when normally they did like New Orleans and uh, all these tracks around the country, and so they paid track odds which, you know, opens up the door to scams, too. What do you get a local track with not much action, and you can manipulate the pool a little bit, and then you make a big bet in New York and cash in. So there were those kind of scams, and uh, telephones were just coming in. There were only several hundred telephones in New York in, the, in that period, so they would uh, they were rich enough. You know, they were making enough money off. They'd get a telephone put in. Um, the mo- and uh, the, ga- second, the main gambling... The movie, sorry, the movie The Sting depicts the one of those pool rooms. It was a fake one that they saw, but that was all based on that principle that you just described, right? Right. Past posting and, uh, yeah, place it unlucky. I love that that whole thing. Uh, I love that movie. Um, yeah, it's totally true. They they could uh, they could also manipulate the odds. They could get they could bribe a telegraph operator to uh, to and they did that too. The book, in fact, I found some in the New York papers where they paid a horse off at ten to one. And it turned out that horse didn't win, and the people had already taken their money and left. And they found out they had to pay bookies had to pay again for the real winner, you know. <laughs> and I, I also 
looked into the, the gambling casinos. They had they had some beautiful illegal casinos. Canfields was the most uh, famous, and it was in the twenties, right right near Madison Square Garden. They had a whole handful back then. Madison Square Garden was at twenty fifth in Madison. So, um, and they had, and I was just looking in and they were describing the chips and they called them checks back then. And they said they were bone or celluloid, which meant they were either ivory or plastic, you know, and most of them were ivory and the expense, imagine all these ivory chips and they used ivory for billiard balls back then too. So a lot of elephants, you know, lost their lives to the gamblers of New York. I didn't Um, know they had celluloid back in the 1890s, 1900s. I thought that came out, you know, in the thirties or forties. I would have thought the same thing, but I got the word right here in my 1896 uh, clip from the Herald. So I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. it was right here. So I lied. Wow. So what about, did you discover anything about poker back in that time? Um, not that much about poker. I did a, I, a little, you know, I, I mean, just on a personal note, I mean, I play poker. I went to Vegas. I wrote about the origin of the betting line, Michael Roxy Roxborough back in the late 80s. I mean, I've done a lot of these things, but I looked into Pharaoh because Pharaoh was yes. the most popular game then, Pharaoh and Roulette. And you know, I don't know if you've actually, you probably have given your interest, but Pharaoh's this sort of the dumbest game. I mean, it's like roulette with cards. You basically put your, your marker down on any of the 13, you know, a, 13 possible denominations, and then it'll either come up the house's card or the player's card. And that's it. They just keep going through the deck, house card, player card. And if it's a tie, um, the tie, the house gets to take half your bet. And if you do the math, that's 3% in the favor of uh, of the house. And it's just this endless game of like, are you going to match or not match? Match or not match? Who's going to match? You know, but it was incredibly popular. Well, I think what happened with Pharaoh was that the game was uh, very, very small margin for the house. It was 3% on the ties, but really no margin for the other bets. So you figure out that a tie happens one out of 13 times or whatever, and 3% for that. The margin was very, very small, but the way the house really made its money was cheating. Uh, Was cheating, exactly. Right? So it kind of encouraged cheating because that's the only way you're going to make any serious money or make it quickly. And... uh, I know that people say that Pharaoh was the game that built the West because it was the money that was put into the Pharaoh games that really was used to build a lot of the cities and towns uh, in the West when the railroads were going through, especially. Yeah, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. These um, one of the one of the gambling. Just to give you an idea of the, the wealth, one of the gambling joints in the '30s had a carved staircase of naked women that was done in Europe and cost the equivalent today of $1 million just for the banister <laughs> of one staircase. <laughs> hey, could, could you tell our listeners, as long as we're talking about vice, tell our listeners what a French circus was, which was something I didn't know anything about. Sure. So, well, New York had three, three prostitution zones. They had French town. They had, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank. The, um, anyhow, they had the French town was down where modern NYU is. And, um, they had mostly French prostitutes down there. And, and when you'd walk into a brothel back then, they'd say, do you want it French or American? And French meant oral sex, which was then um, you couldn't get that at home. That was not something you could get. And that was considered taboo. And American was straight intercourse, which is, you know. Uh, and so a French circus was to have a bunch of the French post- prostitutes do like the equivalent of a striptease and a can-can type dance privately for you. And that was considered incredibly uh, risque. So this uh, Reverend Parkhurst, who was a crusading um, uh, minister, uh, Society for the Prevention of Vice, uh, he went and witnessed one. And he, he thought that he could then bring down the police department because he had eyewitness that, you know, these things were going on and the cops weren't doing anything about it. But it, it didn't wind up working out that way. People think, sided on with vice. I think you also described that he went... He took a couple of nights on the town looking for vice, like, show me something worse, show me something worse. And right. it wasn't just heterosexual prostitution that he encountered back in the 1890s, right? Right. He found, he, he, and he was appalled, he found the, uh, the Golden Rule Pleasure Club, which had um, transvestite uh, vice, or however you want to refer to it. There was a man named Scotch Ann could have been a man, could have been a woman, um, who ran the place. And when, when Parkhurst went in, he was so appalled. This was one of the few places that he just turned around and left. But we do know that men were dressed up as women and that they were in little rooms and they were ready for customers. 
Wow. Well, it sounds like New York hasn't changed a whole lot since then, right? <laughs> no, it's just it's just a little more open. You know, back then there was one gay. You know, there tended to be one major gay bar in the city where all where they paid because even the the Irish cops and the Tammany didn't especially want to sanction you know, gay prostitution and gay, gay bars, but they would usually allow one thriving place either called, one was called the slide. One was called Stevenson's, um, you know, and they, and this place would be, and this is where, you know, homosexuals gathered. Um, we're going to close, but, uh, and, and by the way, Richard, this has been just delightful. I'm eager to have you back on to talk about your newer book, uh, chasing the last laugh, but tell us, Great how long it took for you to do all the research to put this book together and then tell us about uh, how people can get a copy and a website and anything else they might need to know to learn more about you and the stuff you write. Sure. I, uh, unfortunately for me, I took close to five years on this book, which is totally impractical. Yeah, but you but loved every minute I, of it. I can tell. I like this. I like this book. <laughs> I've got to admit. And I wound up getting the, becoming the historical consultant for the alienist, the TV show, the 10 part miniseries, uh, because this was the exact time period of Caleb Carr's book, so that was good for me too. But um, uh, so I spent five years, and people can find it everywhere. It's on Amazon. I don't think it's still in Barnes and Noble the way it should be, but uh, you can find it on Amazon or any um, you know any major uh, bookstore should have it. And uh, and I have a richardzax.com website. If people, uh, I wrote about pirates. I wrote about the first Marine mission to um, first uh, covert op by the United States Marines. Um, so there's some, and like you said, sex and history. That's about it. That's, well, that's terrific, Richard. I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to try to set something up so uh, you'll be hearing from us about Chasing the Last Laugh, which is about Mark Twain. Thank you for joining us. Sounds good. Yeah, this was great. This was fun. All right. Uh, listeners, that was Richard Zacks. He is the author of many books, including Island of Vice and more recently Chasing the Last Laugh. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Sports betting is here, so now is the time to get ahead while the rest of the country is playing catch-up. Well, the way to gain an advantage over everyone else is to be more informed than everyone else, and that way is the Don Best Bet Camp. Moneyline Sports Group has partnered with Don Best Sports and FanDuel Sportsbook to offer a one-of-a-kind, innovative program to help educated sports bettors to make smart, responsible wagers. Sign up today for the Don Best Bet Camp at Meadowlands Racing and Entertainment in East Rutherford, New Jersey, home of the brand-new FanDuel Sportsbook on Friday, November 16th, for the launch event of this highly anticipated one-day hands-on experience. Act now and get $25 off your registration fee when you use our promo code BETNJ. You'll also get a free month of the premium Don Best subscription service, a $25 no-deposit required bet when you download and register within the FanDuel mobile app, some cool swag, and much, much more. You get breakfast, lunch, and even a VIP cocktail party where you can mingle with the experts and meet Jonathan Goldsmith and his Astro Ladies. Register now at DonBestBetCamp.com or call 833-DBB-CAMP and use our promo code BETNJ. Stay ahead of the game with Don Best Bet Camp. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, BABE16, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD, plus free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code BABE16. Again, that's BABE16. Because without it, no free stuff. That's BABE16 at adamandeve.com. You know, ever since the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision lifting the national ban on sports betting, the gambling landscape of the country is changing on a daily basis. So how do you keep up with all the latest news and developments? How do you know what each state is doing? 
You go to the one site that has all the information you need to stay ahead of the game, and that site is usbets.com. That's usbets.com. Written by the leading experts in the gambling industry, all you'll need is one visit to usbets.com, and you'll see why it's the number one gambling magazine in the USA. With usbets.com, you'll get up-to-date information on not just the sports betting scene, but also the latest news and notes on the entire gaming industry all across the country. It's not just one state, it's all of them in one spot. Stay in the loop and stay on top of your game. Get the latest news on sports betting and gambling from the country's number one gambling magazine. Get on over to usbets.com. That's usbets.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Brunson, Gus Hansen, Seidel. Hey, nothing special. Watch them on TV back in my house, and it's just so freaking obvious to me that they're bluffing. <laughs> I know, man. I can always tell what they've got. Oh, sure. It's obvious when ESPN is showing you their whole cards. There's no whole card cam here. You want to know what I'm holding? You're going to have to read my face. Welcome back, everyone. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. So Dave Weishattle joins me in the studio. And there he is. There I am. Handsome, standing yes. there by the microphone. Yes, what, what do we have this Always week, Dave? Standing. <laughs> I think we talked uh, in the past about poker room rates. Yes. We got some questions about comps. How do I get comped from a casino? Are there different ways to get one? Yes, it used to be much trickier than it is now in general, although there are still a few variations on a theme. Generally speaking today, poker rooms, with a couple of exceptions, notably the commerce in California, but poker rooms tend to have a rating system that is very simple. Uh, based on the rate of the game that you're playing, high stakes versus low stakes, you will get credited with a certain amount of money per hour that you may use either to buy food or use in the gift shop or for a room. So at Foxwoods, for example, at the highest stakes games, and you can find out the specific levels, but I play in the 2040 stud game, I get $2 an hour, um, and those players that are regular players that play roughly 30 hours a week or more, they get double that. They get $4 an hour. If I were to play middle stakes, 10, 20, hold them or stud, I would get, I think it's now $1.50 an hour. And if I play low stakes, which is the one to five stud game or the one to no limit game like that, I'd get $1 an hour. Now, other casinos, and this is not the norm anymore, but they will give you what's called a meal comp, a free meal after a certain amount of play three hours or four hours of play you go and the way you get it is you usually go to the floor person and you say uh, I've been playing here for four hours uh, can I get a comp for a meal as simple as that uh, room comps don't exist as far as I know except to the extent that some casinos as we talked about last time may have a special rate for poker players that is usually better than the rack rate by quite a bit but not as good as the fully discounted rate that you can get with consolidators like Hotels.com, Expedia, uh, Orbitz and the like. Um, there are occasionally places that have other kinds of comps like if you sit down and you buy in for $100 and play for three hours, they'll give you $20 of cash. Uh, you should just have to see what the promotion is. Some places give you a line pass for the buffet, but not a free meal. Other places may have a hat they give away for free. Uh, I talked to you about Joker's Wild, which gives out $599 after, I think it's 100 and some odd dollars a month of play. So you just have to ask what they are. Yep, sounds good. So it's based on time, not how much money you win, how much money you lose, or... I mean, you, you win a lot of money. They're going well, to give you something extra. Right? it's based on time, but it's also based in some places, like Foxwoods, on the level of the game that you're playing. Similarly, if you're a... Um, let's say you're a crapshooter, you'll get a higher comp per hour if you're playing in a black chip craps game where you're gambling $100 chips as opposed to a green chip, $25, or a white chip game. So they'll give you the comps based on the hours that you play, but also the level you play. They don't care how much you win or you lose because they know over time they're getting the same amount from you whether you're winning or you're losing because they're 
either have a house advantage or they're raking the pot. Another question? That's it? Do we have time you, for another Out of question? No. We have no, no more time. Listeners, come back next week. And until then, good luck and good day. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.